0: Well, I always I was waiting for the announcement uh, at an airport or Walmart or whatever it is. It goes like this. Wearing masks sucks, but we're all going to have to do it for a little while longer. So let's just let's just get through it. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> I think
0: most people go like, finally, somebody said it.
1: <laughs> like, it's fine. You know, wearing masks is helpful. It's trying to keep people safe. It's an altruistic goal. But yeah, it's just been it's just been it's been difficult you're listening to the struck podcast i'm dan Blewett. i'm alan hall and here on struck we talk about everything aviation aerospace engineering and lightning protection welcome back to the struck aerospace engineering podcast on today's episode we're going to talk about frontier and spirit airlines combining a usa-wide no-fly list an interesting f-35 salvage mission that's now underway Some GE Aviation and Boeing news, Airbus engine news, uh, some Aviation Alice news, and lastly, we'll talk about uh, Jaunt and their journey to fly in South America. So, Alan, uh, let's start here with the the merger between Frontier and Spirit. These are two, obviously, really low fare airliners um, that, you know, they pride themselves on having a really, really cheap, you know, like $29, $19, but then kind of a la carte, all the other stuff. Uh, this seems to make sense that there doesn't seem to be much distinction between what the two offer, right? And does, I mean, does 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 the merger kind of make sense to you?
0: I think it does just because it consolidates operations and uh, maybe lowers the total cost to operate the the combined airline. I think there's a question whether... The Federal Trade Commission is going to step in and say no to that merger. It'd be hard to say that they would right now. But uh, the the those two airlines are, like you said, they're like the low-cost airlines to get around the United States. And there's there's a lot of domestic travel, not much international travel. So you think the future for domestic travel, sort of 737, Airbus 320 uh, kind of flights, are perfect, right? And, and you're going to see at least recent Things I've heard is a lot of people are traveling, <laughs> traveling to Texas and Florida at the moment. So those those states are really full of people, and that means people are flying on airplanes. So maybe the timing is, is right. Dan is, uh, I haven't flown Spirit in forever, and Frontier, same thing. I used to fly Frontier a little bit more. Uh, it, it is sort of bare bones flying, though. You're not. <laughs> I have never gotten pampered on those either one of those airlines.
1: Yeah, I've heard mixed reviews about it, and of course it makes you it forces you into the additional mental math of okay well all right so it's $30 for the flight but you know I've got to, I have to pay for a carry-on I've got to pay for this and that and the other thing and you just start like adding it up and you're like is this actually cheaper a lot of times it is but sometimes it's not it's just it's just confusing is how I find it um, but at least this would be nice that you don't have to look for you know because frontier serves some roots and spirit serves others I just think it's nice to only have to look in a, a handful of places to get all the potential, you know, what to, to price shop effectively. It's it's exhausting to have to check nine different airlines to try to figure out what's going to be cheapest from th- this airport to another.
0: Right, which is what you're doing right now. Right, even even uh, Google Flights is uh, seems to be the place where you can find the most. But still, it is. You're right. That process is daunting at times.
1: So it seems like it'd be good for them to combine their roots and combine their operations and for consumers to have to just look at one. I don't know what the, if they'll be called Frontier, if they'll be called Spirit, or if they'll be called something else. I guess that's to be determined. I'm not really sure.
0: There's there's been discussions both ways. I'm not sure it's been settled yet.
1: I think Spirit's probably, I don't know. I don't don't love the branding of either. So see, maybe they come up with something new and modern, but none of them really speak to me. I don't know. But... We'll see what comes of that. I, I think it'll be a good thing, no matter what. Uh, so moving on, uh, Delta's CEO has repeatedly called for a no-fly list uh, across all airlines, and he's uh, pinging the U.S. Attorney General, um, you know Merrick Garland, to try to get this done. I know that some of the airlines have said there's an operational issue that it's just like hard to communicate, which seems like nonsense com- considering how many complex communications they make between. I mean. It's super complex to run an airline that they couldn't share a list. It seems crazy, but um, I don't know. What's, what's your take on this? I mean, this seems like a pretty big penalty, but then again, don't act like a psycho on an airplane.
0: Yeah, I suppose. But the, the, the interesting part about this story is that the vast majority, like 75% of the problems they're having of contact between crew and passengers is related to mask wearing, And uh, instead of throwing people in jail, which is what they're threatening to do, or fine them heavily, which is what they are doing, and then never allowing them on an airplane forever seems like overkill to me. Uh, I I get like a probationary period, like, okay, you can't fly for a year, but forever? I mean, that's like a death sentence in America. If you can't get on an airplane and go somewhere, it means you Maybe you wouldn't be able to visit your grandkids. You may not be able to visit your, your parent, elderly parents. Uh, that that's, doesn't feel right either. And if the vast majority of the, the incidences are, are drawn into via the mask issue, remove the mask issue. We're at that point where states are starting to open up and, and remove the mask requirement. I, I think airlines would do themselves a whole lot of good by pushing the issue. Um, with the Biden administration and say, hey, look, we're either going to continue to fights and and bad things happening at airports, or we're going to move on. And it's probably time to move on. And I think Delta standing out and saying, we want to punish people for an eternity is bad PR. Don't you? I I feel like it's just not the right answer here.
1: I do think it's a pretty big penalty um, because people can obviously you're remorseful and actually change their behavior. Like you don't, I mean, you know, you don't mean, but at the same time you're in control of what you do. So I don't really have that much sympathy for people who are assaulting other people on the plane about a mask. It's like, this is not that big a deal. Like we've all been wearing masks for quite a long time. So, you know, I don't know, I, back and forth, but I, I would say, yeah, maybe like a five-year ban or a three-year ban. I think people need to have penalties if they, if they realize like, I'm never going to fly again. If I act insane, and assault someone. I mean, maybe that takes it back a notch for a couple of people.
0: The fines they're handing out are tens of thousands of dollars in cases. It's a, <laughs> it's not a small amount of money, right? Because you're in theory you're putting the airplane in jeopardy. Uh, you, know, you rush the cockpit door or something like that, and then yeah, obviously, <laughs> the consequences should get much higher. Uh, causing a dispute in the aisle, it's not good either. If you're on the ground, I just feel like. They have a mechanism to deal with it, but also they're sort of, they're kind of creating the situation and and helping diffuse it. Probably one limiting alcohol, which before the flight would be helpful in a lot of places like Vegas and, um, you know, starting to reduce the mask requirements, I think would be a big help.
1: Yeah. I, I just don't like the idea of, you know, blaming it on alcohol, blaming it on masks, because ultimately people, yeah, people are in control themselves. But I think you're right. The goal is just to solve this this issue of flight attendant abuse in general. Um, and, yeah, I think there needs to be a distinction between unruly behavior and, like, assault. Right. If this is a, a, no, a forever no-fly list, there needs to be some sort of tiered system and some sort of appeals process. I mean, there's, like give you an example there's like dating apps that people will talk about getting kicked off of and they get no reason no explanation they can just like never use that dating app again there's like no appeals process which is not a big deal right but at the same time people are like what did i do like they're like i didn't do anything and they just like no one to appeal it to or ever get back on And you, you wouldn't want to see someone like that. You know, that that's completely unimportant but this is something that's important or it's like well so I mouthed off to, to someone and now I can never fly on any airplane again. It's like, that seems, you know, like they'd have to be really judicial about it and fair about it. I, I think so. Yeah. Cause, cause you're right. Like someone could be drunk coming back from Las Vegas and they get a little mouthy and it's not the biggest deal. Like, yeah, you, you acted like an idiot. Everyone's mad at you, but does that get you banned for the rest of your life from air air travel? Like, I don't think so. But then a lot of this stuff absolutely should, you know, you touch someone else, you hurt someone else, you rush the cockpit. So maybe they don't want to get in that whole thing where it becomes a really complicated issue of like trying to ban everyone.
0: Well, I guess the question that occurred to me early today when I saw this article was how many people are repeat offenders? Like if you do it twice or three times, you know, three strikes you're out kind of thing on an airplane. Okay. But I, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what they are intending to make is draconian, uh, rules that they're going to show in the prom- in the safety promo. If you touch a flight attendant, you're never going to fly again kind of thing. I, I don't know if that evokes the right response out of passengers. I think for a select percentage of people on that airplane, it evokes a response of screw you. Try it, right? Well, I'll give it up, right? Especially if I've had a couple of cocktails before I got on the airplane because I'm a little afraid of flying. You know, your inhibitions are removed by doing that. I think it, it it may prompt more problems than it's worth. Those and if you ever when they first when the FAA first came out with this uh, no messing around policy with masks, it was it was like this. Uh, I always I was going through airports at the time, and they have the FAA spokesman up on these screens. It was sort of Orwellian in a sense, like do not mess with the state. The, we are going to control you. This is the wrong impression. You could have done this a hundred different ways and you could have talked to someone who is has a, some idea about persuasion and they would have never advised you to do that because it just feels wrong. And then it just builds on itself, right? So, we, if that wasn't draconian enough, then we're just going to ramp it up. And it doesn't make that poor part of the population want to do what you want them to do. It's just, sort of backward logic i think
1: i think a lot of the mask issues have been handled in a way that just like doesn't show a whole lot of emotional intelligence or just like appeal to reason of like you know i'll give you an example i was in a museum recently and lovely museum here in in uh, the district of columbia and every like 15 minutes for the three hours we were there this this huge like stop everything you're doing announcement comes over the pa system the entire gigantic museum telling you that you have to wear a mask. It's like, we get it. We've been doing this for two years. Like, we get it. You don't have to do that. Like, no, that's... And the people that aren't wearing it aren't going to comply because of that. Like, that's that's not doing anything. It's just annoying everybody. Like, we get it. You know, it's just like stuff like that. It's like, who makes those decisions? I don't know. But you're right. It's like, at the end of the day, I think... Hopefully we can just put this behind us. I don't know what to do. We just need to put it, put it behind us.
0: Right. I hope so. Yeah. I would love to hear it. Well, I always have waiting for the announcement, uh, at an airport or Walmart or whatever it is. It goes like this. Wearing masks sucks, but we're all going to have to do it for a little while longer. So let's just, let's just get through it. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: I think most people go like,
0: finally, somebody said it.
1: <laughs> like it's fine. You know, wearing masks is helpful. It's trying to keep people safe. It's an altruistic goal, but yeah, it's just been—it's just been—it's been difficult. So moving on, uh, interesting salvage mission is now underway. So the U.S. Navy, uh, Alan, I'm sure you saw this video. I guess it was leaked from the um, the USS Vinson uh, aircraft car- carrier that this uh, f-35 crash had like a bouncy landing looks like a little piece of me its wing broke off and then it fell in the ocean luckily the uh, pilot uh, ejected but now they're talking about hey we got to go we got to go get this and apparently the south china sea is not that deep so it shouldn't be too much of an issue and the u.s has salvaged you know planes and all sorts of things before but they're just trying to make sure no one else gets their hands on this and that's I guess a pretty big concern.
0: Sure, when they had the F one seventeen crash over in Croatia or Serbia back in the war in the nineteen nineties, that was a big deal, right? You, you lose this sort of stealthy asset, and uh, I think the Russians grabbed hold of it. So say it is a big deal. the The video, whoever released that video, is going to get prosecuted. I think that's going to happen. Uh, like, where did that come from? How did that get out? Uh, the, the video is a little shocking and it isn't like we haven't seen this kind of landing happen before where the airplane clips the, the, the back end of the ship and then goes sliding across the deck, uh, from video from world war two, all the way up to today. And so the, the, what the video shows is the air back end of the airplane kind of clips the deck and goes sliding and burning across the, the runway area of the deck and then flips off the, the front of the, of the carrier. And, uh, I guess there are five or six people that were hurt in that accident. No one died, thank goodness. Uh, but the reaction, everybody was pretty swift. If you actually watch that video, you can see the ship turning on its uh, fire suppression systems, and everybody basically goes to stations. So they were ready for it. But uh, you know, the 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 follow up and all the accident investigation is going to take some time as to what happened. Right. And and did they have a, a problem in the airplane? The engine quit? Something funky happened? It stall. That's going to take a while to suss that out.
1: So you think this person who released that video is going to suffer some consequences, huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because the Navy is very, you know, I guess rightly so, right? You, you don't want to show problems because... It just doesn't look good on the Navy, and you're you're not allowed to do that. The Navy doesn't say, "Hey, you can just disseminate information without having authorization." That's not how it works. It's one of the any of the services would come down heavily on that. So I'm not sure how it even got out. I think they're going to there will be a naval investigation to figure that one out for sure now uh, they'll spend hopefully not spend as much time on that as in figuring out what's going on with with the airplane what happened on that particularly a particular approach to the to the ship like what was what was the disconnect there and what caused that accident Because it, it could have been a lot worse than it was it was bad enough but it, if there are multiple scenarios where people could have died in that so they're very very fortunate actually
1: yeah it looked like a control room video for sure like it was like a very weird low res like it, it looked like some sort of sophisticated equipment um yeah definitely not intended for public consumption
0: no no
1: so moving on airbus has announced that they might make their own engines uh for future hydrogen fueled planes alan this is um this seems out of the ordinary typically these uh big airliners or these airline manufacturers they want to outsource this and have you know the specialists like rolls royce and ge to take care of this kind of stuff why why do they feel like they can do this themselves
0: i don't know isn't that just the weirdest thing i, I when airbus said that I, I just had to take a step back and go what w- why <laughs> why why I mean, from a, just a variety of reasons financial reasons development reasons staffing reason region reasons uh equipment reasons tooling reasons not knowing anything about electric motors reasons uh it seems like that's something that the airframers had stayed away from historically but i think there's probably a lot of cash in electric motors for aircraft I, that's a if if you want to go find the holy grail right the thing that costs the most the most expensive component in the aircraft is the the engine and the and the service contracts that come with it so that there is an incentive to kind of enter that marketplace and since we're basically starting over clean sheet again maybe airbus thinks well i just created a vision i have put a bunch of engineers over there and i say okay make me a hydrogen fuel cell electric motor combo and uh, we don't have to deal with Rolls Royce GE or anybody else. Again, Pratt and Whitney we just do our own thing. That, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. But the orders, Dan, you know, the, the orders at Airbus, Airbus. Airbus has so many orders right now for airplanes that they can't really possibly meet. Uh, moving into another hugely expensive portion of the airplane development doesn't make a lot of sense today. But maybe it maybe it does. Uh, it's just shocking (laughs) way out of left field on this one
1: apple finally you know the past couple years in secret started making their own silicon silicon chips and you know to displace intel and i don't know how much money that saves them but i'm sure it's a pretty pretty big amount right not to mention their m1 chips are spectacular i mean they've really changed what apple laptops can do i'm recording this podcast on one and it's it's honestly remarkable so maybe like you said if this is a whole a whole change where we got to rethink the engine essentially maybe that's a good time to do it and see see how you know and if if they bet a hundred million dollars just throwing a number random number out there if they bet that on can we do it maybe losing that amount of money if they fail isn't the end of the world you know apple also did the same thing they tried to grow their own sapphire for um, the front glass of of their of their phones to make it stronger so they could cut out grill glass or any of these other ones. that spectacularly failed. I mean, they ate like five billion dollars in that that failure of that factory. Um, but it didn't end up being really a, a more than a drop in the bucket over time.
0: Well, you'd think that making electric motor hydrogen fuel cell combo is going to be a billion dollar and try. Or maybe two, maybe more by the time you get to production something it's going to be close to that and certified it's going to be really close to that it's it's going to be expensive adventure i mean everybody's complaining about boeing investing in whisk at 500 million dollars (laughs) well multiply that times two or four and let's try it again and see how many investor complaints you're going to have i think you're going to have a lot Uh, it's just not in their wheelhouse not their strength and hasn't been
1: Well, and speaking of engines, uh, GE Aviation and Boeing have been joining forces, um, looking at, I guess, hybrid electric propulsion systems, and they're testing it on a Saab three hundred and forty B aircraft. Um, Alan, what's what's notable about this? Obviously, there's a lot of uh, information about electric hybrids, all sorts of stuff in the news cycle. But what's what's what sticks out to you about this partnership? The,
0: the Saab three hundred and forty is a twin engine turboprop airplane. So it's sort of easily modifiable and there's a lot of them around. So it'd be an easy modifiable, modifiable uh, platform to evaluate a a fuel cell or hydrogen powered or electric powered aircraft. So you you got two engines, you make one electric one jet a and evaluate it. (laughs) This is again, it gets back into why is Boeing in the middle of this? I understand why GE is in the middle of it, but why is Boeing in the middle of it? And What advantage is it for Boeing to be involved in that up front? Because Boeing doesn't make little turboprop airplanes, right? They're making 737s to 777s. Those are big GE9X kind of power plants, right? Uh, The electric motor right now is not going to replace those, at least in, in its early stages. I don't know how they would do that. And maybe this is where Airbus is, is chiming in because they heard that Boeing's doing it. And so, it's like, well, maybe we'll do it too. All right, Boeing. Yeah, try us, right? But I, I, the, there is a there is a long stage of development It has to happen here. And, and you see it on all these electric airplanes that are going right now that are all part 23, small aircraft, which is where it should be developed, right? Start small and work your way up to the larger airframes. but. From a financial, just from a business standpoint, maybe Boeing is hesitating its bets and saying, hey, look, maybe the Europeans are going to be really serious about this and we're going to have to create these, quote unquote, green airplanes. What does that look like and how do we prepare for it? Because if we don't, if we get to 2030 or whatever the magic year is and we don't have an offering, then we just, we're dead. (laughs) We're in big trouble. So maybe from that particular aspect alone, legislation is driving this decision by Boeing to work with GE and to get over the hurdle. GE has made electric motors for forever, right? Since the early 1900s, late 1800s. So they know what they're doing there, you would think. And they have all the engineers to do it. Boeing doesn't have the engineers to do all that. So the partnership makes sense, but I'm not sure where this is going. Can you, Dan, can you imagine flying on an electric 737? That's not something I can see in 10 years.
1: Yeah, based on what I've heard from you and others about um, energy density. It doesn't seem realistic.
0: Right. So unless we're flying 19 passenger airplanes around, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think you're putting 120 people on an electric airplane anytime soon. And going the speed you're going now, not not, no. That's not going to happen. But maybe it's just a, a, a reckoning of a lot of flights or shorter flights. There's not a lot of cross-country flights. A lot of flights are like San Francisco to... LA or whatever they are in New York to North Carolina. Maybe they can't be handled by smaller airplanes. And I mean, that's the way the world's going to go, but I would say that's not an efficient way of, of doing it. (laughs) We're going to find out.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of electric, um, let's move on to our EVTOL segment. So first uh, topic is not an EVTOL, but rather just an electric. So the aviation Alice is uh, apparently close to its first maiden flight. Uh, it's currently undergoing high-speed taxi tests at Arlington Municipal Airport, which is near Seattle. Um, and of course, the Alice is an electric. Uh, it's got two pusher uh, pusher turboprops. Alan, I mean, this looks like it's getting close. Finally, we've talked about it for the two years that we've been doing this podcast, and they're saying um, it's not a proof of concept or demonstrator. Like this is the real deal, and it's a it was it's a nine seater, I think. So. Are we going to see this in action soon?
0: I think so. The first flight was, they were trying to get the first flight before the end of the year. And that's always the goal to get there by the end of the year. Usually there's investments tied to that. And then if January came and went and now we're in February and the still first flight is yet to happen. Not a lot of details coming out from aviation of what's what the holdup is or what they're evaluating at the moment. My guess is something power plant related. Who knows? Uh, could be avionics too, flight controls. I mean, there's a lot of things that you want to evaluate <laughs> before you get off the ground, make sure they're working right. The, the, the thing about aviation, and it's a basic aircraft, standard aircraft design, it's got wings, fuselage, tail. And instead of having sort of, turbofan engines on the on the fuselage behind the wing they, they, they put uh, electric motors back there with propellers on them so it has a more conventional design the uniqueness of it is obviously it doesn't have to carry fuel in the wing so the wings are very thin and the lift to drag on those wings is going to be really 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 good just like by aerospace has been talking about they don't have fuel in the wings either so the the lift to drag on those things are, are amazing because you can really design a, a very efficient wing but aviation has customers dhl is going to buy a bunch of airplanes uh for cargo it it cape air which is out my neck of the woods uh, is going to use them to shuttle to martha's vineyard sort of boston to martha's vineyard sort of thing or Nantucket. Uh, so it's going to replace some of the twin engine airplanes they have there uh so there are there, it does have direct application immediately it, it isn't like that market has to develop like joe Beast does and a bunch of others. They have an immediate marketplace for it and it's a conventional aircraft so it's going to be a little easier to certify. And because of the new uh, Part 23 rules that came out in 2017 and the ASTM uh, means of compliance that are happening now, it's going to be a little bit easier for them to get that the Atlas certified. And uh, that's the real kicker here is if they can get an aircraft efficiently through certification through flight tests, they're going to win. I think they're really going to have a, a really good product on the marketplace, which will have immediate impact.
1: Yeah, and some people are skeptical of their market um, because it's not a regional jet. It can't scale up to be, you know, 40, 50 passengers or anything. Uh, the battery chemistry is just not going to get them there. Um, but it, there's a lot of reports. I've been reading a bunch about how private jet travel is just in a lot of people who are on the fence, you know, CEOs of small companies who are like, I just couldn't justify $10,000 you know, to get here to there or, you know, $6,000 an hour or whatever. There's a lot of jet sharing and lots of different solutions where people are finding like, you know what, the cost kind of came down. There were a lot of uh, trepidation because of the COVID and health scares, all this stuff. And I finally made the plunge and I'm not going back. It's been great. It saves me time. Time is money, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems like a good time for a nine seater better than probably any other time in history. So at least it seems like they've at least got that going for them where, Nine seats might be a pretty decent, like you said, just shooting from, you know, Long Island to New York or New York out into to Boston, like something like that where it's a short flight. might make a lot of sense for nine people who are willing to pay, you know, seven, $800, $1,000 for that, that quick flight or more. I don't know what, what it would cost.
0: It has to be used quite often. I think the, the advantages here is that its operation costs are, are much lower than a typical uh, turbofan engine. So the, the uh, lower operating costs means... Sh- To make your money here because the airplane is still expensive is you got to use it a lot and shuttle service makes a lot of sense uh shared access uh charter usage totally the right place to go here and you're right i mean there are certain parts of the united states and the world in which there's a lot of short jet flights and they can be replaced by something that aviation is building right now it's all in a development, right? Aviation is not looking. It's got sort of two phases to it. It's just a little short term. Let's see if we can get out there, get something certified, and, and get out in the marketplace, get our name out. And then, and then there's always a the next phase. It's kind of like Honda, right? So Honda builds this first jet, then it improves upon it. Now it's got this bigger jet coming out. It's an it's an evolution of, of products. But you have to, have to be successful with the first one to get to the next stage, which is what Honda's been doing, right? And so Honda is kind of your model to work from. Watch what Honda does. Watch how they sell airplanes and then develop the next airplane. It, it's going to make for a longer term successful aircraft program.
1: So last on the list today is the Jaunt Journey. Uh, this is the slow rotor EVTOL that is definitely outside the box from all the other sort of Mainstream moving fast towards certification, um, EVTOL uh, prototypes, but they've partnered recently with Flapper, which is a private aviation company, kind of on demand, uh, in Latin America. Which Latin America seems like definitely a a big um, market for EVTOLs, as Alan and I have discussed. You know the security concerns of some places where you're flying, you know, rooftop to rooftop, and a lot of the elites. Uh, Already, kind of travel by helicopter in some of these countries. So, I mean, Alan, do you think the jaunt journey is on the right track? I mean, we kind of haven't heard from them much in the past six months.
0: I'm curious about the name Flapper. <laughs> that's the first thing that stands out. I wouldn't necessarily. I don't know if that's just a translation issue. That in English it means like flapping your. <laughs> it's flapping. Flapping is something a bird does. So the it evokes of not. Not a safe aircraft to me
1: <laughs> panic you see you're flapping you're flapping hard to not <laughs> right. flapping is not soaring <laughs> right <laughs> right so there must be a translation issues uh, it, but John has
0: been trying to find a marketplace for that aircraft for a little while and I feel like they're slowly losing ground unfortunately because they're they're, they're competing against the the jobies of the world right and even if John has a better, theoretical design. It's not really in theoretical because I think there's been sort of earlier prototypes um, by some of the companies they've acquired over time. The question is really a, a business one is can you get the aircraft certified developed out in the marketplace before everybody else floods it? I don't think so. Right now I don't think so. You remember that they talked about moving the production of Jaunt up to Canada and I think that kind of made sense because they got Tax credits to be in Canada, and Canada is trying to promote those industries. But I, you really haven't seen anything. There's not a prototype flying. Everything right now is still a computer model. It's still cool, but the computer model, when you're looking at Archer uh, having a prototype, Joby's been flying for a while, WISC's been flying for a while, Eviation's is going to do first flight. You feel like they're losing ground, not technology-wise, but just business-wise, and that's that's the frustrating part because you'd like to have, in an ideal engineering world, you'd like to have different ideas or different products competing for the same space and let it suss itself out, figure out which one's the best for, for those marketplaces. And I don't think we're going to do that, unfortunately. And it really comes down to investment money. Who's who's putting putting cash into Jot right now? And can they find somebody to write? A five hundred million dollar check. I don't know. I don't know who that would be right now. And hopefully, John can can you know, show us some things here in the next couple of months. But if not, I'm, you know, Joby's going to really be putting the gas down on that aircraft and showing it flying over the Golden Gate Bridge and doing all the cool stuff that Joby's going to do. And same thing for Beta. Beta's going to get a bunch of pictures of the airplane flying and have a bunch of cool things going on. And John's going to hopefully show us a prototype that would be great
1: well that's going to do it for this week's episode of struck thanks so much for listening be sure to subscribe wherever you listen on itunes spotify youtube stitcher and leave us a review we would greatly appreciate it thanks again we will see you next week on struck strike tape weatherguard lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes provides unmatched durability for years to come If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at WeatherGuardAero.com. That's WeatherGuardAero.com.